coffee drinkers, bass players. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Got to get that on there. What's happening? Welcome to the podcast. Anyone watching this, don't forget, I'm running the video now uh, while I record the podcast. So you can go on YouTube, see the La Croix. Haven't had this in a while. This used to be a feature of the vlogs in a big way. I was always drinking a La Croix. Not going with the flavored ones now. Just the plain one, a little bit of seltzer water. Very refreshing. Um, little late night beverage of the healthy and refreshing nature. Oh, so much to talk about. Been on the road a little bit. Uh, was up in San Francisco this weekend playing another show with uh, with Shahinda Jaffe and Baba Kamani, two Persian artists that um, that I recently got asked to to play a few shows with. We played one in LA. Uh, about 10 days ago, one in San Francisco this past weekend, and I'm heading to Atlanta um, this coming weekend. Uh, what day is that? Is that the 13th? I want to say it's a Sunday, Sunday the 13th in Atlanta. It's actually in, it's actually in, a, uh, I think it's in Sandy Springs. Yeah, I think it's in Sandy Springs, just in North Atlanta. Anyone out there, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's the Studio Theater, Galambos Way. Sandy Springs. If anyone wants to see a pretty badass show, it's a very emotional show. I mean, it's, and I don't speak Farsi, and it's still um, like literally not a word of Farsi, and it's still very emotional. Um, you know, with everything that's going on in Iran right now, and just Shaheen being a uh, quite a voice, political activist voice, as well as a great singer and, and musical artist, and kind of all that coming together in the current climate over there is is pretty crazy it's pretty powerful stuff and even not speaking the language and having babak kind of translate stuff for me and tell me kind of what's going on it's uh it's a very some very powerful stuff i'm learning a lot um eyes and ears open mouth shut and uh yeah definitely learning a lot on this gig and then playing good music as well that's always a massive bonus and uh, being around good people, good musicians, and crazy audiences as well. Uh, crazy high energy and obviously super emotional for them and people very passionate um, about the current situation and, uh, and and hoping that it will get better. So it's been very, very interesting gig, something super new to me in terms of all of those circumstances converging at the same time. Uh, so that's been awesome. You don't get that many firsts the older you get i don't know if i've talked much about this before but like real you know maybe you play with a musician for the first time that you've never played with <clears throat> but like situational firsts of this magnitude become uh you know f kind of fewer and farther between than you know say when you're in your early 20s or something and you're just saying yes to every gig and everything is new because you might never have been to germany or south africa or australia or most places in the world at that point so like everything is like whoa look at this culture and look at this and wow all of these things and and i'm not even traveling to iran to play these shows we're doing them in the states on the west coast here and it's still a very um powerful first for me in my career musically speaking and situationally as well so very grateful for that and uh, yeah one more show to go up in atlanta if you're around on the 13th by all means come down and experience this uh yeah pretty serious musical moment that we've uh, we've had the last couple of weekends and then i'm gonna be in New York. I'm going to be back in New York for five days making a record with Steve Smith, the new Vital Information album um, with Manuel Valera. 
Oh, we're going to be recording for five days. That's a that's a rarity. That's not a first, but that's like super few and far between the times you get to do that uh, these days. The way budgets work, the way schedules work, the way uh, studios work, just the way people work. Doing five days in a row for what, what is essentially a jazz record, you know, an instrumental record, is kind of rare these days. Um, at least for me. Maybe I'm just not in the right circles for doing big budget instrumental records. <laughs> but most people I speak to are like, yeah, one or two days. I know for me, I thought doing three days on uh, on my album this year, One Way Out in Spain, was was epic. And it was. I mean, it was really epic. We packed a lot into those three days, or even just two and a half days uh, we got to actually record because we arrived kind of day one. I thought that was really that was longer than I had spent on a record in a super long time, in probably 10 years. So, yeah, five days with Steve and Manuel in the studio are going to be great. Um, I think there are going to be guests on the album. I heard maybe Mike Manieri, my, uh, Dean Brown. I'm not sure exactly who is going to do it. Kind of some v- uh, vital information alumni, I guess, uh, from the past and maybe some new people. I'm not sure. Uh, but we're going to cut all the rhythm section stuff, you know, live in the studio, do, do some writing, do some jamming and, and, uh, and put this new album together. I think we kind of have like a, maybe a third of a record of, of material from the shows we did a, a couple of months ago. And that's sort of gearing us up for touring next year, West Coast in March, East Coast in June, um, which is fun. But while I'm in New York, I'm going to sneak in a quick set. It's really weird not having the 55 bar as an option. This is like the first time I'm going to New York in a while and wanted to play, you know, with my friends, with my musicians, with my music, uh, you know, just play. I haven't done that in New York for a really long time. Probably damn, is that like, maybe I haven't done that since like 2019 or something, or maybe even earlier, maybe 2018. I don't remember. I remember it being at the 55 bar and being with Clarence Penn and Justin Vasquez, Sen Doikin, Philip Dizak. I remember the gig, remember the band was awesome. Should I have a bootleg of that somewhere? I got to dig that out, chop it up, get it in the live archive at Yannick's Bass Studio. That'd be a good one to put in there. But yeah, just a, it was a circle back to the original thought which is it's really strange not to have the 55 bar as an option that is it's super sad you know really made me miss the not just the ease of being able to call you know call the you know call call scott and be like hey man can we slide a date in and he was always really cool like yeah no problem when you want when you're coming in and i could even kind of get it done last minute that was a very that was a nice luxury to have a nice connection developed over the years but not it's not even that that i miss the ease of get getting the gig or, or being able to put a date in the book it's just the general um sort of the, the magnetism of that gig it was like the central like all compasses pointed towards the 55 bar it felt like at least in my little scene like that was where kind of everyone played you know how however new you were or however old you were however unknown or however big of a superstar you were you know we're talking like everyone from you know Brian Blade with Chris Potter and Uri Kane and you know like cr- crazy bands like Adam Rogers and, and 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 that kind of world right down to people you've never heard of and and maybe they're still studying at NYU or something maybe they're just playing a, a, an early set and get, getting their feet wet in New York it was always kind of just the right spot it was the right sounding spot it was kind of the right size it was the right place to try new stuff 
you know, it had its like legends and legendary people who played there forever. You know, with Stern, I you know I played hundreds of gigs there with Stern over the years, and you know, Krantz obviously every Thursday. You know, Stern was every Monday, Wednesday whenever they were in town. Um, I know KJ was there. KJ Denote was there on the weekends. They were just like real staples of the scene. Um, and you were always kind of guaranteed this super high level situation to be walking into. And, and, and later it became like, you know, the Donnie McCaslin and Mark Giuliana and, you know, like just all the cats, all my like heroes. And, and then later on kind of peers and friends and like bass players alone. If we just talk about bass players that were regulars at the 55 bar, I would say the person I know the least, and I, to this day I've only met once, but I'm a huge fan of, and the one time I did meet him, I'm talking about James Genus, was only a few years ago, and um, it's just a super nice cat, but aside from James, like everyone else I knew pretty well, you know, like Tim LaFave, Anthony Jackson, you see like uh, John Benitez there, Patatucci, Richard Bona, I mean it was just like the crazy uh environment to go hear music to be able to play music to be in the same scene as the people as that caliber that level of musician playing there and it wasn't like a status thing or an ego thing it was just it for me it was a motivation thing it was like wow holy shit these are the people who are playing there i cannot screw this up you know i've got to be like really on my game and, and, you know, we're talking about a, a dive bar, not the most, uh, how should we say, not the most salubrious of, of surroundings uh, at the end of the day. Not quite spit and sawdust, but definitely a dive bar. Basic, super basic, but it just had all the right properties to be one of the best places I think I've ever played um, live music. And yeah, so going there now, all that to say, uh, going there now, I am going to play a gig in New York on the 30th. I'm, um, luckily we get done in the studio around seven each night and I can kind of sneak down and play a set and I'm going to play at the bitter end. Uh, I've played there before a bunch, but never as a band leader and uh, I'm playing trio with near Felder and Cliff Armand. Uh, it's the 30th of November, end of the month, 30th of November, 9 30 PM is the set. So if you're around, uh, I, I know the capacity of that club isn't that big. Maybe it's almost similar kind of size as the, as, as the 55 bar was, maybe 80 people or something, 90, maybe. It, I don't know, not totally sure, but for sure there aren't going to be that many tickets available. Um, so yeah, if you're in New York, want to come out and see this trio play, it's going to be super fun. We haven't played together in a while. Uh, definitely not together as a trio and individually we haven't played together in a while, which is kind of sad as well. So I, re I really wanted to do that, get get together with at least some of the cats while I was there. So near, uh, near Felder, guitar player, great friend of mine, uh, was, was kind enough to hook it up with the bitter end. Um, luckily, we still have a connection somewhere to get a gig at the last minute which is awesome. So yeah, big thanks to the bitter end for making it happen. And yeah, hopefully see some of you cats out there. If you're in New York, it's a rare, uh, I haven't done it in well over three years and um, not sure when I'll be able to do it again. Um, so it's a, it's a rare one and something I'm really looking forward to a nice little bonus uh, kind of side thing to be added to being already being in New York to do a great record with Steve. So that is, that's that November 30th. 
Uh, we get done with the record with Steve, and that's kind of it for the rest of the year, which is nice. Get to shut it down and do family time through Christmas and uh, and the new year, which is going to be awesome. Um, this is Lily's going to be Lily's second Christmas, but she might just kind of uh, be a little more. She's roaming around. She's toddling. She's walking. She's making a lot of noise, so she might kind of, this one might be um, a little more enjoyable. Uh, not memorable, of course she's not going to remember any of this being like, I don't know, 14 months old, but she's, uh, I think she's going to be a lot more engaged in the process. So I'm looking forward to that, to the downtime thing with the family. It's going to be great. Um, before we start winding up, winding up for the for the new year. Um, and w- with that in mind, uh, I got to let you know that I did end up putting the entire documentary, the One Way Out documentary on YouTube. That's now available. I'll link it in the show notes to this episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, don't forget, if you're only listening right now, you can watch this podcast on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, I'll put the link in the description below the video. Um, and it's up there in, in full length, uh, in 4K, the whole thing. And um, hopefully it will help to promote what, what I'm doing next year, what we are doing with the trio, what um, I'm working on with the new agent, with funk gurus and uh you know booking these shows um looking at three sort of distinct time periods right now sort of uh spring summer fall trying to do as much as we can and pack it into short compact little stints with the trio with tom and nico so really psyched about that and and also uh, not only is the documentary up on youtube the album in uh, full length will be heading towards the streaming services you know as an archive i've talked about this a little bit before it's not you know it's not a big launch or anything the launch happened six months ago so when it goes up it is more for archiving purposes and to hopefully bring people out to the live show i think that's becoming more and more the focus anyway um with what i'm doing musically and especially with the addition of an agent to the to the team to the setup that really changes things that that makes things a lot more possible i'm finding out we're definitely getting interest from places i want to play you know it's an interesting process it's something i've never done before because i've never had a booking agent or a manager or anything like that so it is an interesting process from my side because i've always done it all myself so it's always been kind of a one-way conversation in my own head which is Hey, okay, I take control and I can, I can you know, I, I only have myself to blame, <laughs> so to speak, if things go wrong or don't work out. So there's, there is that, which is, a, I think, a positive and it's very motivating for me. But there's also, you can't bounce, I, I, I've, you know, it's, it's tough to bounce ideas off yourself when you, you, you know what you know and there isn't another perspective in the room. Uh, the only way you can get another perspective is by doing more research and learning more about the stuff. And sometimes there just isn't the time in the day. So it's really interesting having someone else to bounce ideas off, someone else to sort of, I don't know, like consolidate all the information. I think that's huge. And consolidate the time periods and juggle club owners and promoters and, and bookers and all these kind of people Um to get the schedule to where it needs to be in order for me to, to, to be able to justify leaving the family and and going on the road. Um, and I I think ultimately that is, you know, going to be 
you know, probably the, the, the agent is going to be the most useful person in the team for a very long time. Um, if all of this comes to fruition and if we make it all happen, um, we haven't played a, a note of music live yet as a, as a team. So when we start doing that, which I have very high confidence that we will, um, I think it will come to pass that uh, it, it was a very wise move to, to have someone involved like that. And, and I'm just learning more stuff. You guys know me. I'm always about uh, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut, unless you're asking great questions. That's always my uh, my philosophy, and that's exactly what's happening now, just learning way more. And it's also a very good exercise in uh, in keeping the mouth shut. You know what I mean? Like I've done this for so many years. It would be very easy for me to just say, oh, yeah, but I want, what about this? And what about this? Just ask way too many of the wrong questions. So I have to really put some trust and faith in their ability to do what we're, you know, to, to accomplish the, the, the broader picture, the bigger picture, the task at hand of just booking shows and not get too involved in micromanaging. Um, and that, that was good, good conversation early on to have about setting i had to really stay it took me a few weeks to get the email together actually and send the information over that they were asking for in terms of okay what do you want where do you want to play what's your list of like top 20 cities or venues um sorry i'm all bunged up still oh i don't know what's going on um what else was on that uh that list so it was like top 20 cities where do you want to play uh which venues we are, you know of course they don't know exactly where i have an audience and i have a little bit better idea of where my audience is so that was inf- good information i was able to give um without being you know micromanaging that was something that was asked for something that was requested so we went through that process then there's you know how much money do you want to make that's a big one that's something i had to think about for a while and really break it down and really some of the things that went into that process were not just personal. It wasn't like how much money do I want to come home with? It was also about looking at what the members of my band will have to go through in order to work for me and thinking about trying to be as fair as possible and trying to be, you know, trying to uh, compensate them as, as well as I possibly can, trying to make the numbers work out. So it's worth their while to do what I'm asking them to do. You know, I'm really about efficiency. I, I hate wasting time. Um, and it's, there's nothing more precious. It's always been the case, but I, I, anyone out there who's a parent or a husband or a wife or I, I'm sure a, a, a son or a daughter as well, you, you, you know that that time is, is so unbelievably precious. You only really notice it when it's gone and you know you're not getting it back. And you notice it when you're missing things that you you really ask yourself the question like, oh, did I, did I miss that for the right reasons? You know, does that double back and and replenish our lives enough to justify missing time with the family, especially with a young child now? So there's all these uh, different perspectives that are very much under the spotlight um, right now in terms of my process and my thought process. And okay, what do I, what do I need from the, from the tour, from a tour? So, it's not just, yeah, how much money do I want to come home with? A big fat number at the at the end of the of a two week tour. It's not just that at all. It's like, okay, I don't like wasting time, and I want to make the most of the time I have those two guys for that I have Tom and Nico for, and I don't want to mess them around. Like they they have families as well, you know, and um, 
wives and kids and all the rest of it. So I want to make the most out of that time. But now that in turn means, okay, two weeks is my maximum. First of all, that was a big decision. I can't leave home for more than two weeks, I decided, at a time. Um, because I don't want to leave Chelsea on her own with, with Lily for that long. And in that time, I want to have as few nights off as possible, um, but also at the same time without being ridiculous, without completely exhausting uh, ourselves and without working ourselves to death um, to the detriment of the music. So it's a balance to strike. Okay, you've got two weeks. Let's say you've got 14 days. Are you going to play... 12 shows, 10 shows, 13 shows. Are you going to play every night for two weeks, like 14 shows in a row? That sounds kind of rough. I'm slowly getting an idea of maybe it's six and six. Do six shows, have a day off, do six more. Um, There are other ways to do it that are less brutal if, if you can have two nights in the same city. So I would very much like to do London for two nights. Um, not only because I like playing the Pizza Express and I think it's a great place to play two nights in and you leave all your stuff set up and maybe you even play two shows a night. So really you play two days but four shows. So you really you really get to some music and you get to dig in and you also get to be stationary for two days as well, which is a, a huge luxury. No travel the same day as a gig. So that can help ease up the pressure of playing nights back to back, especially as... Tom, for instance, lives in London, so he could stay in his own bed and be with his kid and his wife and, and, and all of that during the day. So there are all of those considerations to, to take in, into account. And, and, you know, perhaps in Paris, we try and do the same thing. Maybe it's two nights at Duc de Lombard or something like that. And, uh, and Nico gets to spend two nights in his own bed um, and with his family, you know, and it, it takes, the, takes the brutality uh, out of touring a little bit. So I'm going over all of those things in my head as I was putting this together, kind of the the mandate, I guess, if you want, or just the, the list of requests, not demands, they're requests, like just saying to the agent, you know, this is I, in an ideal world, these are the things I'd like, the back line, the level of hotel, you know, um, the type of travel, all the different layers of touring. I, I really went into quite some detail with that, you know, and specific keyboards and pianos and drums and bass amps and all of those things that make what we do um, that much better, that, that present the show the right way. You know, if I, I'm of the mind that there's a carrier there, even though, for instance, on Bob Reynolds' tour in Europe just now, I did kind of do amp du jour and said, fuck it, I'm just not going to deal with uh, artist reps and endorsement this and distributed that to get Aguilar on every single show and I just kind of dealt with it I was like fuck it let me let's try it as a sideman thing but it was a sideman thing I, it wasn't me presenting my music the way I want to it was me um, doing the best job I can as a sideman for Bob's show and it, it worked great it was totally fine and it's what I needed to do and Gene had agreed to do the same thing with the drums as well so we were trying to like ease Bob's overhead and just ease the whole pressure of, of advancing all of those shows. But mm, rehydration moment there. Um, uh, at the same time, I have to think about what my music is and how I want to present that. And it's a little more uh, sonically involved, I would say in terms of, in terms of the concept that I have with, with my own trio, with Tom and with Nico is a lot of improvised music, as you've perhaps heard on the album or, or seen in the documentary. Um, 
and 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 sonically it requires something quite specific it's not um standard in, in any way and i'm not trying to say like that bob's music is standard it's just the approach of the rhythm section could be far more standard than what i'm going for with like this soundscape and cinematic like huge stereo setup and all that stuff with my own band it was a little more conventional in terms of touring as a sideman as a bass player as most bass players do on most gigs and uh, same for gene with the drums you know we we just fulfilled our roles and we had fun we made great sounds and i think we had some great shows um I don't think the amp de jour or drums de jour situation, you know, not going totally crazy about the exact specs of our gear. I don't think that had a detrimental effect on the music at all. Um, and there were moments where shit didn't work and we had to troubleshoot. And I, I think that would have happened no matter what. So that was a, that was successful um, in that scenario. But yeah, I definitely had to uh, specify to, to my agent to say, okay, these are kind of the parameters. And of course, you have to say, yeah, and if you're in a tiny town in the middle of nowhere and this is what they have, this is what they have. You know, you have to weigh it all up at the end of the day and say, okay, how much do I want to do the gig? How much do I want to perform for the audience? How much do I want to be in that place, um, in that location? Maybe it's somewhere I haven't seen before. Maybe it's somewhere I know I have lots of fan requests and the the, the interaction with the audience is going to be amazing. So, okay, then you know how to make compromise and then you maybe you compromise and you don't have a stereo rig or maybe you compromise and you don't have 12 inch speakers you have tens okay fine um but i definitely laid out initially ideal situation of course that's number one and then we sort of prioritize and and compromise accordingly uh, you know depending on what's going on with the tour so yeah a lot of things went into that into that email to the agent and um talking about really trying to talk about ticket price and room size your venue size like how many people could potentially be there do i know i can sell 200 tickets in paris but okay if i'm in munich i can only sell 150 like just looking back at numbers from previous shows and trying to gauge like what is realistic and then looking at average ticket prices and trying to be fair to the audience like i don't want to alienate anyone um but i certainly don't want to be stupid and sell tickets like too cheap to the point where it doesn't make sense to come and and play the shows you know i just can't hit the bottom line that i need to so it's again it's all all a big balance and sometimes you've got to compromise in certain places and sometimes you can push it a, a little in others um Especially when, you know, I'm not 22 years old. It isn't my first time. I do have data and that data is really useful in terms of, you know, when you want to place a bet on somewhere, you know, am I going to go to, let's see, Ljubljana and try and sell out a 2000 seat to concert hall? No, absolutely not. Uh, although playing in Slovenia would be fantastic and I've done it before and I know the people were amazing, the audiences were amazing. And maybe I can sell out a club that's like 150 or 200 that's way more realistic and a ticket price of 25 euros across the board and we hit all our numbers. Boom. So that's kind of the ballpark I'm looking at trying to trying to figure out how we're going to do that and you know some some places are going to be a festival so it's a guarantee it's not a split with the door there's just so many factors that go into it um uh and and yeah so it, it's going to be like like I said it's going to be really interesting to see what the agent comes up with see what offers they get because it's not you know 
it's not all on them. You know, it, it really is kind of dependent on the offers. You know, they, they fish for offers. They, they p- pitch offers to dozens and dozens and dozens of venues around uh, Europe and Asia and stuff. And, and we see what we get. So it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of months. I, I cannot wait to bring you the first leg of the tour and say, hey, we're coming here, here, here and here. That will be a fun moment. And uh, it will be really nice to have like a professional team in place. Uh, knowing that all of that stuff is actually going to happen and you know kind of go off without without a hitch and and be have been well negotiated and be within the parameters that we set out at the beginning of our kind of working relationship so anyone listening who's thinking about doing this stuff you know i always like to share the the real details i always like to share where i'm at in the process and over the past um even nine months i've been in two very different places if you remember back, if you've been listening to the podcast at all or following the videos, I was really gun ho about doing it all myself still, as I have been doing for 20, almost 25 years. And uh, doing that little tour for a week back in August was just, it, it wasn't a surprise that it was so much work to get those few gigs together. But it was a reality check that I was like, okay, can't do this with a family and everything else going on that I have to do. Like I have to have somebody else working on this stuff. Oh, I think my voice is hitting the threshold once again of not being able to hold up for a longer episode of the podcast. It's so annoying with them. I don't know what it is. It rained like crazy today here in LA as well, so it's not dry, but my throat is definitely dried out, which is very annoying. Anyway, yeah, so I've been in two very different places in, in, in less than a year, and hopefully I've landed on the right place. I'm always uh, willing to share what's going on. As I am with you right now, uh, the, the, the whole, every layer of it. So anyone who's considering doing it or is in the middle of like looking for someone or has found someone or is unsure of what to ask for. And, you know, money is always a tough one to, to, to talk about. I've got no problem talking about money. I'll, I'll gladly, once I have some gigs under my belt, I'll gladly break down the numbers and tell you guys what's going on. I've got no problem sharing that. I think it's important to know what what's up. You know, and especially if you are new to doing it as a band leader, I, I think it's really helpful to know exactly what you might, where you might fall on the on the scale. You know, and I'm sure everyone's going to be in a slightly different place. Um, some less experienced, some more experienced, some in the same place I'm I'm in. You know, but in general, just to have like a working idea of of what people get paid, what people make, what you can expect, what kind of deals you should be looking at. Um, I've talked a little bit over the past year about wanting to rent venues myself, take a hundred percent of the risk. Uh, so that's something I haven't discussed with the agent yet. We're going kind of a little bit more of a traditional route first. I wanted to do that to get, um, and it's not like I'm keeping this a secret. Like if my agent heard this right now, I, I think it would be fine. Like it's not, it's not some big secret. That I'm going to like jump out and say, all right, peace out guys. I'm going to do this now. It's just something I want to keep for a bit of a later date. Once I've had a, a little more of a solid run with the trio, with the agent, with some venues and kind of gauged audiences a little more like updated information. I said earlier, I have data on this because I've been doing it for so long, but things change. We all know things change. Things have changed drastically over the past three years and venues have closed. The deals have changed. Parameters are vastly different for a lot of people. 
Um, some people can still go out there and demand, demand, demand and get what they want. Others are not as fortunate anymore. Um, and I really don't know where I sit on that scale, to be honest. Um, let's let, We're going to find out. <laughs> we're definitely going to find out. Um, but so far, from the initial feedback of some of the offers we're getting for 2023, it looks pretty good. It looks promising, looks encouraging. I'm excited to be doing it. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing more important to me than than just getting out there in front of of you guys, the coffee drinkers, of the music loving public. That's it. You know, that's why I do this. I don't do it to sit in my studio and uh, and practice or just make podcasts or just make videos on YouTube. It's really the live thing. The human connection is is really what it's always been about for me. So, as much information as I can share about that, I will. Um, as always, you know, nothing, no change there. And um, we, we're going to see. We're going to hopefully pack in a lot of uh, a lot of bang for the buck. You know, that's the other thing is like creating the show and really, uh, really giving people an experience that they're curious to come back and see it again, especially knowing that it's going to be different. That's, I mean, that's probably a whole other series of podcasts, but... And we're all guilty of it, me included. You know, if I go and see, shit, who am I going to pick up the top of my head? Well, let's pick Pamathini. Why not? One of my favorite uh, musicians. And if I go and see Pamathini, uh, maybe that's a bad one to pick because he has a lot. And not, he's not a bad artist at all. He just has a lot of. I, I like so much of his content. That is a bad one to pick. I want to pick someone who, like, there's a song or two or three songs that I really like. And if I go see that person play and they don't play those songs, <clears throat> there's a tendency to feel a little bit shortchanged, right? You're like, oh, shit, I really wanted to see that. Or, you know, they, they had a hit in the 80s or something that you've been listening to forever and you go and listen to them in 2022 and they don't play it and you're pissed off about that. And you're like, well, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. Like... You know, I I know a lot of like Mike Stern. There's a good example actually of actually being in the band with Mike and playing lots and lots of concerts with him all over the world. And people are like screaming, "Chromosome, play Chromosome!" They want to hear Chromosome, or they want to hear Tipitinas, or they want it. Like there are like th- three or four huge songs like Upside Downside from the first album. That that record was made in. Shit, I don't want to say it wrong. Let's guess, and then I'll, go- I'll Google it as I'm guessing. Upside down side. Hang on, hands off the keyboard while I... What was that? I want to say 80, 82. Does that sound too late? Shit, it's either 80 or 82. Up, let's see. Upside, uh, downside, Mike Stern. Come on. What was it? Oh, wow. I was way early. Oh, man. Okay, so it was 1986. Crazy. I was thinking it was earlier. Oh, because Jacko passed away in 87. I knew Jacko was on the record, and I thought Jacko had a few more years to live after that. He passed away the next year. Wow. Okay, yeah, so Upside Downside, that was a huge record for me. Uh, Hiram Bullock produced that record. Like, the, the, you know, Dave... Um, 
Jeff Andrews is playing bass on there, Mark Egan, Jacko Pastorius, Bob Berg, David Sanborn, Steve Jordan is playing on the same track as Jacko on Mood Swing, Mood Swings, should, uh, should say. Weckle is on the whole record except track four, and Mitch Foreman's on that whole record as well. Wow. So, yeah, so so you you get to shows and there are people with like, shout out Chromosome, you know. I went to a Dave Matthews band concert uh, with Chelsea a month, a couple of months ago. It was our anniversary or something, and... um or something, I shouldn't say that. It was our anniversary. We went, to, we went to the Hollywood Bowl. We went to see DMB. And it was great. And there was some, there's always some drunk lunatic at concerts like that, right? But there was some drunk lunatic shouting, like every five minutes, it was a three hour, three hour and 15 minute show. Every five minutes, this guy shouted, uh, oh, what's the, all along the Watchtower. It's not even a Dave Matthews band song. It's a freaking cover. And this Watchtower every five minutes drunkenly shouting that that song and whose song is it actually i know hendrix uh all along the watchtower is it did he write it it is he did write it okay i thought it might be one of those weird ones that was like made huge by someone huge like hendrix but somebody else actually wrote but that's a Jimi hendrix song okay um and it's on Electric Lady Land 1968. Anyway, so, that, you know, that happens. People get upset. Sorry, I've gone off on a massive tangent here, but people get upset when they come to a show <clears throat> and they expect to hear this one aspect of your musical career. And the older you get, the longer your career is. So maybe that thing they like is way back at the beginning. You know, I get requests to play stuff off of uh, 55 bar, off of. Uh, space in between off a mystery to me i haven't played any of that shit in a really long time probably since those albums were made but those are the people those are the albums that affected some people and they come to the show and they get upset that i don't still play like that 20 something years later and that's it's a real challenge you know and i am not let's (laughs) let's be very clear i don't have the Let's think of really recognizable people like Marcus Miller. Everyone wants to hear Run for Cover, right? Or they want to hear Tutu. Pat Metheny, everyone wants to hear Bright Size Life and James. And uh, the list goes on and on and on. Chick Rear, everyone wanted to hear Spain. You know, like I, I am not one of these, <laughs> these unbelievable legends that have a 20, 30, 40, 50 year career of making ridiculously high level records. That's not, I don't have that. I just, it's not. Uh, I haven't achieved any of that. Um, but on some small level, that still exists uh, among my audience um, as, as you know, way smaller as it is than all those people I just mentioned. Some of that, there is an element of that. And I see comments that come in and people commenting about, yeah, why doesn't he just go back and play stuff like Theatre by the Sea? Or why does, you know, I hated It Only Happens Once. I, I want to hear more live at the 55 bar. You know, and, I think it's tough for people sometimes and I'm getting better at it, but I can't say that I'm immune to it. Um, Cause it, you know, if I went to see Michelle and Degicello, she's my favorite bass player and I'd really want to hear her play bass. And I really love peace beyond passion and plantation lullabies. And I know she has no interest or at least she hasn't shown any interest. Cause I don't think I've ever heard her play those tunes in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, that was a part of her career and a part of her musical output that is now old, that is now like 30 years old, some of that shit. So 
I, I totally get it. And, and um, I try as hard as I can not to get as emotionally, um, emotionally attached to the old stuff when I go to see someone I love live. Um, and, and I know that's hard for people, but it's something that is super interesting. Sorry. Oh, the throat is really giving up. It's something super interesting to try and retain an audience now, especially with the type of music I'm playing, which is so improvised. So it's really kind of hammers home how much of a, a an experience um, you want to try and create and not something you want to do the same every time because it's improvised, so it's never going to be the same every time. You don't want to even want to just start out with the same initial embryonic ideas embryos rather of of ideas to start improvisations or to start songs it really needs to be for me anyway completely different every time i really don't know what we're going to play um unless there's like an actual song in the set that i've thrown in there but i kind of want to get away from them and create this experience that says (coughs) okay wow this was just music it wasn't about the bass you know, you can go to a Marcus Miller concert and I think it's a lot about the bass. There's a, a room full of bass players. Obviously, he's ridiculous. He's the man. The bass playing, excuse me, the bass playing is off the charts. Of course, you want to hear the bass. I just said that about Michelle and Degacello. I want to hear the bass playing. It's amazing. Uh, but then it kind of overshadows the music sometimes. I think Marcus is an exception because he wrote and produced so much amazing music. Like, you know, most of Miles's late catalog and, and the Luther Vandross stuff, just so much stuff. And as a, as a composer himself, he's very prolific for his own music. So, um, but yeah, those, those, the guitarists who go see Pat Metheny or Mike Stern, it's like a lot of it can end up being about the instrument and not about the music. So to try and shift attention away from the bass as a bass player and channel it into the music to create an experience, um, without compromising artistically. This is a, like a massive challenge, very, very interesting uh, case study or experiment. It's not really an experiment because it's just what I'm doing no matter what. Like I'm, I'm always going to do it no matter how. Is it five people at the gig or 500 where it doesn't, you know, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. Um, so it's it's very interesting. It's an interesting way to exist musically live um, without so much... Um, sort of traditional or conventional structure. There's no, there's often no set list. Uh, there's no encore. There's no, it's just like, you just don't know. And the structure comes from the trust in the other musicians around me. I think that's really, really important to understand. Um, if, if ever you're in any doubt, you know, <laughs> if you come to a show and you're like, mm, I don't, maybe I don't understand this. Like what's going on? That's what's going on. You know, that, that the structure comes from the trust in the other musicians around me. And uh, it's very hard to find musicians on that level, um, especially musicians uh, who you can really create something with that I, that I have with Nico and Tom. So it's, it's, it's really special. It's really special for me. And I hope I get to, uh, I hope I have the opportunity to convey that to an audience as we did a little bit this year and as I hope we do very much uh, in 2023 um, with with great with great love and with great uh, honesty uh, those are those are the really the only things I talk to the band I don't really talk about music uh, with the band 
about what we're going to play. There's no like mandate, you know, like um, in the studio because we were creating a recorded <coughs> a recording. There were certain things where I I, I definitely said, ah, you know what? I I kind of I want to steer away from that. And it was maybe because I'd done it before or because I'd heard I I had slipped into something that had then inspired Nico and Tom to do that thing. You know, it wasn't like their fault or anything. Um, and, I, you know, I, I stopped a couple of takes and was like, hey, you know what? I'm not really feeling that. Let's kind of go away from that. But live, we are very much on the same page. I don't talk, I don't discuss music. I don't like be, oh, yeah, Nico, tonight, can you play more of like the second Tom? I was kind of missing that last night. No, there's none of that at all there is just um reassurance that they have complete free reign to do whatever they want and i will support them uh no matter what so you know there's and we have that trust uh, uh together we i think we each trust each other um on that level in all directions so we get to go out and have that that personal structure and that improvise, that structure within improvisation that, like Tom said in the studio one day, can be con- compositionally quite sound. Um, there's, there, are some, there are some amazing moments that we get to because we trust each other so much and we have a vast library of experience, I guess, at this point, um, that we can shape things. You know, we can shape music and melody and harmony and form and rhythm in such a way that we don't need to write it down, we don't need to rehearse it, and we don't need to go back and find it again once it's happened. I, I actually, I'm going to end on this because this is already a long one. I'm going to end on this. I spoke to uh, Juan Pablo Alcarro today. He's my engineer who, who engineered uh, One Way Out uh, from Argentina, from Buenos Aires, and... Um, we were speaking this morning, like today, really like talking about some stuff. I put the video on YouTube. He said, hey, man, great to see that. And we started talking about some stuff. And we were nostalgic, reminiscing, you know, about the studio. It was only six months, eight months ago, whatever. But it was such a beautiful time. And we both agreed that it was our, you know, single best recording studio experience of our lives. And we're the same age, más o menos. And... We've worked together a lot. We've worked on, I don't know, 40, 50 records together in New York. I don't, I lost count. I actually, I couldn't tell you. It could be 20, it could be 100. I really don't know. It's, it's a lot of records. And uh, we, we spent a lot of time together in the studio. And we both agreed that was like the best we'd ever experienced. And immediately it was like, yeah, God, we got to do another record. And of, of course, I want to do another record. I want to include all of those. I want that crew again. But the first thing, you know, I said was like, as much as I love Casa Morada, La Casa Morada, the studio we went to in Spain, and it is amazing, it it might just not be the right place for the next album. And, you know, he immediately was on the right. And I, I said, like, the, the one thing I want to do is forget about those sessions. When we go to the studio again, just to, not to try and get back to that headspace because that was a one-time deal, as are all the shows. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm mentioning that. I'm mentioning that I had that conversation with him today because all of the shows are like that. I don't want to get back to the thing we did last night, ever. 
because that was for last night and tonight <clears throat> if you're a good enough musician you should have something new to say you know and uh and and we do and i'm you know i'm not like tooting my horn or our horn i'm just saying like we we have managed to pull our collective experiences um to have confidence in not just ourselves but in each other to go out and and lean on that trust and that faith in the music to not be the same every night and uh we did it five nights in a row it was you know it's pretty good uh proof of concept right there we did it in the studio for three days and knocked out you know i don't know 10 hours of music uh without even thinking about it the little sketches that i took into the studio to play we barely even you know we played them i was like ah, this is we can improvise better than this shit that i wrote so yeah talking to juan paulo like what the next project might be the next project might be more composed it might be more arranged it might be more a little more dense in the writing department um and for that we might need a very different studio a different um different set of tools for that <clears throat> wow the throat is gone it's the body telling me shut the hell up let the coffee drinkers go and stop talking about whatever the fuck it is i'm talking about yeah let's do that um thanks for sticking around that was a bit of a longer one today uh documentaries on youtube atlanta next weekend uh the bitter end on november 30th 9 30 get your tickets at the bitter end i'll put the link for the tickets actually uh in the show notes and if you're watching on youtube below the youtube video in the description and uh i'll be back yeah before i go to atlanta i'll be back with another episode got a ton more stuff didn't even get to in this one so yeah we keep the discussion going um the telegram channel as always is a good place to drop questions if you have any questions or feedback or anything you want to say always good don't email me just don't email me that I, I it's over it's too it's too much um i just don't have time to get back to emails about hey what do you think about this pedal and uh, what are the specs of your bass and hey what strings do you use and, oh you know i got your book and on page 73 well, why is it that you think that like i just don't if you have a book all the information you need to know is in the book uh number one um if you have a question about music for sure i've already made a video about it on youtube so just before you email me or anyone for that matter before you email anyone with a question just use google or youtube as a search engine to to just ask that question just in case i have about a thousand videos on youtube so there's a high possibility that i've said uh what you're asking me in an email in a youtube video that you can go back and you know pause and rewind and listen to the thing over and over again and and see a visual representation of it so don't forget that that's that's an option um i should just always wear a t-shirt in my videos that says don't ask me just google it and very very occasionally like one in a hundred there's like a legit question you're like oh shit definitely haven't talked about that but it really is like one percent of the time so uh don't forget that Google is out there and there's a lot of content already. And go back through the podcast. There are a ton of podcast episodes out there as well. I think I did 80 or 90 episodes of the Practice Room podcast. Uh, I know there are like 150 of this one, I think. I said there are a lot of episodes out there. Um, not quite Lex Friedman or Joe Rogan or, you know, you know, Burt Kreischer or Your Mama's House or those, that, those kind of numbers. I'm not in thousands of episodes, but there's... 
there's a bunch of material out there. So if you're ever in doubt, go check it. And uh, that's it. I'll speak to you guys again this week. Thanks for sticking around. Speak to you on the next one. Mm-hmm.